Great, thank you. That's a great question. Um, I'm guessing you couldn't hear that, right? Yeah, so we'll just repeat your question for people here in the hall. Do you want to repeat it or do you want me to? Um, by the way. So, the question is uh, related to the Vedana practice yesterday, um, but um, feeling that probably or hopefully it will still be relevant today to kind of explorations that we're doing. Um, noticing or kind of like inquiring into like what's that what are we actually doing um, is it that we're changing the way that we're relating to Vedana um, is it that we are um, noticing that Vedana is a way of looking itself so it has a it is a way of relating to experience is it that Vedanas are just automatic are we trying to kind of change and cultivate different Vedanas um, I think I think that kind of covered the, the kind of the ground, the territory there. Um, it's a really great question. Um, and as with many kind of great questions, we will probably have to kind of bow down to the greatness of the question and, and say, you know, like, let the answers kind of dance around that. But like, my feeling about questions is they're much better than answers. They kind of lead us places, they in invite us to investigate, they bring interest into our experience. Um, an answer can kind of create a cul-de-sac out of this kind of beautiful wide path into, into the wilderness of our experience. So that's why we kind of aim for responses more than answers. Keep, keep it open, keep that exploration going. What is Vedana? What's useful about noticing Vedana? How does that shape the Vedana as I pay attention to it? Is Vedana a way of looking? All of these really great um, open explorations. So who would like to respond? This one, okay. Um, so yeah, so probably every which way we could say what should we do with Vedana I think is a, a really rich exploration and, and each of them are really worth doing. Um, I would say in my feeling about it Vedana is automatic it's not something we can stop and yet we can cultivate different Vedanas and probably that's what we're doing in the kind of the big picture of like what we're doing on this path. Dukkha is actually one of the names for a type of Vedana, yeah? So there is Dukkha Vedana, there is Sukha Vedana, so what we sometimes call unpleasant, Dukkha, and pleasant, Sukha, and then there's things which are Adukha and Asukha, which we then have to put into the, these are neither particularly pleasant, neither particularly unpleasant Vedanas. So we have this, so the whole practice around relieving dukkha is interestingly kind of embedded within the Vedana practice as well. Okay, so as I said, open, wide open space. So what I'm doing now isn't really answering, I'm responding, but hopefully widening that sense. Okay, so we're starting to cultivate more sukha Vedanas to kind of balance out the experience of dukkha in the Vedana through the way that we relate to the Vedanas that are here. Yeah, so our way of relating to, hmm, this is a bit painful, dukkha, unpleasant, dukkha. How about I relate to it differently? And it's actually, oh, that creates some ease. It brings in the sukha, the pleasant Vedana experience. So that could be like, just that could be our goal in our practice, what we're doing. Um, we adopt goals to be helpful for the development of, of qualities. Yeah. So 
and maybe I'll speak about this tonight, but it's like you can decide what's your goal you know, in, in your practice, what is it you're doing here, but that could be one way of relating to it. Um, there could be the other kind of approach, which might be more like, oh, Vedna is just automatic, it's just automatic. And that can be quite helpful for kind of letting go a little bit of like, I have to be in control of my experience. Like it's, just <laughs> it's just unfolding perception, it's quite automatic. You know, sound appears, I hear it, how, 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 do I, how do you even do that? How do you convert all these vibrations into sounds and then turn those sounds into thoughts and turn those thoughts into meaning and gather them together and develop a sense of self just from these you know, parts? So it can be interesting to see, Vedana just happens very quickly, it's pleasant, it's not pleasant, it's, pleasant. it's not pleasant. It's, like it's something that's happening and we experience. And so that way of practicing with it can be very helpful, very insightful, very freeing. Vedana just happens, just happens. Don't do it, you can't not do it. Contact, pleasantness, contact, unpleasantness. And we, but this being responds to it. And then I think the third point are kind of like, um, expand upon that, that Johnny brought in, which is um, uh, quite ephemeral, <laughs> uh, is around this feeling that, what was it? It was there and then it kind of drifted off. Not sure. Maybe it'll come back. Um, but it's also fine. There's quite enough there, I think. So I'll just repeat it. So noticing um, the, the really kind of tuned into the possibility of, of noticing contraction and working with it, but then also noticing that then when there's thinking, say, I want to ask a question, um, then with the thinking comes contraction. Yeah? And so wondering if it's ever, is it possible to say think um, without some degree of contraction arising? And therefore, dukkha. Yeah. So, um, shall I go? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, really, really beautiful insight <laughs> there. And uh, yes, to some to to some degree, and this gets very subtle. And you know, don't freak out. <laughs> um, but to some degree, when there's an experience, yeah there is contraction, yeah? Because in order for there to be an experience, in order for something to be an attention, yeah, there needs to be a degree of craving to hold it in attention, yeah? So there'll be a degree of dukkha, so there'll be a degree of contraction there, yeah? Um, but this can be very, you know, this, we're talking about like huge spectrums, yeah? From things being very, very gross, yeah, which is kind of something we can easily feel, say, you know, we're ir really irritated. <laughs> the contraction is really very tangible, right? We can really feel it, and the dukkha is quite intense, yeah? It could be from that to then, you know, very, very subtle, yeah, like a very beautiful experience, and there can still be a very subtle degree of that. So it's another, uh, another encouragement, uh, to kind of keep that question alive, yeah, for yourself to explore and to kind of play with this, you know, movement of, you know, dukkha to well-being, yeah, uh, 
you know, grosser and more subtle, uh, and 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 kind of more more well-being, more um, less dukkha, and and so on. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right in that experience. Like there will be thinking, and yet, you know, we're as as human beings. Yeah, we can also say we need that, right, to some degree. Uh, and and this is where uh, this is a practice of insight. These are practices insight ways of looking rather than prescript prescriptions on how to be all the time yeah yeah because we need some degree of contraction yeah we can say in that and that to that degree in order to function yeah also yeah uh, but it's a matter of some degree of sense of sense of self in order to, to function um, so that's really interesting and the freedom comes when we realize that and we know that we can play with it know that we can play with it um, yeah and if you want to add anything to that uh, feel free to say something completely different you're allowed great that's great and I also see we have a raised hand I think looks like yes. Bianca yeah. um, do you remember in the talk we talked about the Buddha having kind of two sorts of thinking he had these kind of two camps of like decided at some point to say you know all of the thinking that's kind of got greediness in it all of the thinking that's got um, uh, ill will in it and aversiveness in it and hatred even you know I'm just going to put that all in one camp those are all kind of dukkha kinds of thinkings and then there's other kinds of thinkings that go on which are more like renunciation gratitude generosity um, the good that I can do for another welcoming someone into the heart and mind um, and probably we would include within there, you know, reflections on the Dharma and explorations of experience that bring more greater freedom, all of that, good kinds of thinking. So again, it's a little bit like the Vedana kind of thing. So like, well, let's say there's this camp and there's that camp. If I'm going to do any thinking at all, why do the one that causes a lot of vexation, causes disharmony in the world, wastes resources, you know, does this kind of thing? What if I do that kind of thinking? And this is kind of like, this is probably like step one or maybe like the main dance of our experience. You know, it's like making sure that when we're doing the thinking, let's do useful thinking. Let's use our resources well. You know, there's only so much time in a life. There's only so much action we can do. And thinking is an action. It's an act that we do. It has intentions and it has outcomes. And then he says at a certain point, but even that, it's not peaceful. It's not peaceful. And there's something really peaceful available for us. And perhaps at a certain time, we're going to say, that's enough thinking about all the generous things I'm going to do. and all those. In- I've got enough intentions built up now to last me for a couple of years. How about I just rest in this moment into something peaceful? So that's another way of kind of framing what, what Zohar was saying. So, yeah. yeah, so I'll just repeat for those in the hall, uh, just kind of a, a sense that maybe this was already touched on in response to the last question, but... Um, a, a, a kind of a um, kind of wandering around craving sense of self uh, in relationship to uh, self-expression um, and kind of the, the you know the gifts or the individuality that we may have and kind of where kind of where that that sits. Um, do you want to say anything to that? Just because you responded to the previous one, I just carry on from there. Or? And we both responded to the previous That's one. That's true. Um, I don't mind. So, yeah, uh, well, I can. Uh, anyway, even if the logic's not quite there. Um, just joking. Um, yeah, this, this could be one of those kind of questions where it's like we, we're doing here certain practices to kind of fulfill certain 
um, to kind of bring into being certain insightful ways of relating, but we're not saying, you know, and then this is how you have to live. So, for example, around this uh, feeling of like, um, I can't remember if you use the word self-expression, but there's something that, you know, we, we maybe want to bring through our uniqueness in the world um, with or without forms of attachment. And then it becomes very tricky because if we're saying, well, any time you're thinking, for example, then that's dukkha. And dukkha's no good, so stop thinking. Um, and then what have we created? You know, there's this kind of catchy saying they say that only dead fish go with the flow you know it's like, <laughs> it's like going with the flow is that is that our aim is it is it to not exist is, is that what we're trying to do like the peacefulness of not even showing up at all um and then being okay with that and it's and it's kind of like the the buddha's freedom perhaps is to express the self or to not express the self according to something which we would call i call appropriateness appropriate to what appropriate to what you have to decide what's your kind of freedom what's the what's the dukkha that you want to diminish in your life and it might be psychological dukkha it might be you know diminish painfulness in in the, in the body it might be you know uh, improve relationships with other the dukkha that comes from friction disharmony it could be you know the dukkha of the global situation that that's what i want to address so the freedom in there perhaps is to say I'm playing with ways of looking that can quieten down the self and I can play with ways of looking that then bring the self back into play. So the Buddha was very clear to say I, I don't teach there is no self. It's not that I want you to understand there's no self and that's that, once you get that you've got it. And I don't teach there is a self and that you have to kind of improve that self and once you've got it up to the right standards then we say good go out into the world and explore. I teach neither self nor not self because sometimes one is going to be very useful. This is my addition. Sometimes one is going to be very useful and another time another, diminishing it, fading it. It's like, it doesn't matter. I've built up all this self around this and it doesn't matter. It's not so important. I can let go of that. Another time, it's like, this is actually really significant and I'm going to stand up for this. I'm going to take my stand in the world, in my life and I'm empowered, feel empowered to do that because I understand how it's fabricated, yeah, and what's important about it. So again, really beautiful and deep and inspiring kind of question. Keep that kind of question alive. Where is it right for me to feel, oh, I want to express that? And where is it right to say, oh, that's not so, not so necessary, not so freeing, not so beautiful, not so harmonizing, or whatever the quality is behind your practice, whatever it was that brought you to the cushion and then is trying to find its way through these practices. So I hope that's useful um, and not complicating something. But then let's say, back to the basics, we have practices that we do here which adopt a way of looking and we need to have a conviction behind them. So it's like, yes, I'm going to you know, let go of my personal needs for a while to get the taste of what that's like. And then we can later on see, and it's nice to drop them back in again. So it's a bit of a potentially confusing answer that might end up you know, opening more questions but hopefully yeah, it kind of addresses it. something <laughs> that's good great mm. okay yeah so I'll just repeat that uh, try and kind of repeat in synopsis but I might end up repeating the whole thing um, so kind of enjoying that sense of the map contact Vedana uh, Tanha Dukkha 
and then also the kind of place of meta or skillful ways of, of looking coming into that. Um, and then uh, kind of feeling like maybe some clarification would be helpful around dukkha and the relationship between dukkha and tanha. Yeah? Okay. There's also a point of saying, and I think it was quite nice, like on the one hand feeling kind of like, am I getting confused around what dukkha really is? And on the other hand, that sense of a greater sensitivity may be coming through of like, oh, it's, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so beautiful. Nice. So one interesting thing about dukkha and tanha, you know, we haven't said this, but um, four noble truths, yeah. Buddha, kind of the, 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 the basic tenet of his teaching. Um, the first one is that uh, dukkha is part of, of life. Um, and the second is that dukkha arises with tanha. Yeah. So often uh, it's translated as the cause of dukkha is tanha, but literally actually what the, what the, the, the phrasing is, dukkha co-arises with tanha, tanha co-arises with dukkha. Yeah. And tanha, as that, that movement, uh, I, I would call it, you know, if, if we, one way of that maybe is useful for dukkha is a one, one or two word <laughs> translations um, as ill-being, yeah, or uh, a sense of dissatisfaction, yeah, a sense of not being satisfied. And the tanha is that movement which is searching for satisfaction <laughs> all the time, yeah, but I'm doing it, I'm doing this movement because our habit is to search for the sati lasting satisfaction, not just satisfaction, to search for lasting satisfaction out there, yeah, search for it somewhere, you know, and it includes in here in the sense of, I get it perfect, the perfect posture that's going to be pain-free, perfect body that's going to be pain-free, <laughs> you know, the perfect mind that's going to be just the right degree of alert and calm, yeah, so kind of, we, we kind of, that's the, you know, I'm going to get everything right, so we're looking for it externally, and the invitation, the practice is to look at it in the relationship, yeah, rather than the external, so that's, you know, it's, it's kind of looking at Dukantana from, uh, it's kind of coming at it from a different angle, but that's, does that respond yeah, about the relationship between the two. And I think that that bit about them co-arising is really important because it's not just the linear. It's actually <laughs> like they're in a, in a feedback loop uh, all the time. They co-arise together. And then this addition that when they're there, also contraction is there. Yeah, and, and we use that sense of contraction because that's a, often a very helpful way to recognize that they're there, but also... It's an it's a access point, yeah? Because sometimes, yeah, we feel that movement of tanha. We feel that movement of searching, but it can be quite tricky to come into contact with and try and do something about, yeah? Whereas with the contraction, we can often um, kind of have more of an access point. So that, that's part of why it can be really um, helpful. Yeah? So we have a here. few things in the chat. Um, Maybe just as I was uh, reading the chat, there's a nice principle in the Dharma called this-that conditionality. And tanha and dukkha have this-that conditionality. And the, the phrasing goes, when this is, that is. Yeah. So when tanha is, dukkha is. 
But the other phrasing of this, that conditionality is when this, um, from this arises that. Yeah. So when this is, that arises. And so you also have linearity. So it's, it's synchronous. When this is, that is. If there's, if there's tanha, there's dukkha. <laughs> tanha is dukkha. It's just, a, it's just an expression of dukkha. Um, but if we keep doing tanha, we're going to end up in dukkha as well. It kind of works over time. So you can kind of build that up more and more. But the same, they also can switch places. Or that can become a this. So when dukkha is, tanha is. So if I'm experiencing dukkha, look around. Oh, there's tanha happening. Oh, there it is. Now I'm doing it, yeah. Um, and from dukkha usually arises more tanha. Yeah. So I got dukkha. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to get some tanha getting going on. Yeah. So it's an interesting way of just looking at it. There's a bit of this that conditionality over time and in this moment. Both and. So that's yeah. a framework that's helpful. So there's a few. Uh, I think more re- like reflections in the okay. chat. Um, That's nice. This this practice um, was a wonderful reminder of uh, this guided practice just now was a wonderful reminder of this beautiful practice. One thing I noticed um, during this sitting was the dukkha and contraction associated with me trying too hard to expand the awareness. Yeah, is that beautiful? <laughs> So, like, we're trying to do that thing that's meant to release the contraction, and that in itself can bring contraction. Um, Recognize this and noting it as dukkha, then release the craving and allow the awareness to expand further anyway. Yeah, so that's kind of beautiful. Thanks for that, Ed. Um, Can I say something in relationship to that? Yes, please. So there's actually, um, this, this might be quite specifically for Ed rather than for other people, but there's two ways that I explore uh, expanding that contraction. So on the one hand, there can be kind of like a stretching out of that space. It's like more space. It's kind of almost like there's something physical pushing it out. And this is particularly good when there's dumbness uh, in the experience. Push it out. It's kind of a brightness. In that making that effort, I get more energy. So I kind of apply energy and it multiplies. I don't know how that happens. Physics of of the psyche. Another way is I'm not going to pull this towards me anymore. I'm actually going to stop the contraction, which is an energy that I'm doing, which is just pulling in, squeezing in, squeezing in. I'm just going to let go of that. Naturally, consciousness expands. Like the hot air balloon that's untied and it's, whoo, it just rises. It's, it's just in its nature. I think to myself, awareness has the nature of vastness and I'm not going to pull it back from that anymore. I'm not going to be selfish saying, stick around me. It's like, you go as big as you want. And that can be kind of this effortless expansion into into openness yeah so you kind of have these two ways of working with it and at different times that can be really helpful and the releasing the hot air balloon is quite good for restlessness it's like oh i'm just gonna let that go it's like oh that was much better yeah um so maybe that maybe that resonates with what you're saying there ed yeah um um i noticed more contraction in my mind when i was distracted so there was a distraction, uh, a contraction in my attention. I then opened this out to my whole body with spacious attention, relaxing the body, and found myself adding some metaphrases. I could then feel the freedom of coming back to a spaciousness and away from the pull, an empowering feeling. I didn't have to get involved. So this kind of flows on quite a bit from what you were saying just now. Um, thanks for that, Zoe. Let's just check if there's anything else in the hall here. Yes, Maria. 
So a sense of um, kind of maybe is the question how to work with tiredness as dukkha, because the yeah, yeah, and it sounds like that Can has. That? Sorry, so, so sorry. Do you want to repeat? Yeah. So give you a chance. Yeah, <laughs> gives you chance to think. And uh, yeah, so inquiring whether it's um, a, a useful way of practicing to label tiredness and uh, actually kind of like the literal kind of dropping off into tiredness as dukkha. Um, noticing that when I do that, it kind of brings me back afresh, but then it, it, it still kind of comes again. Um, and is, it, is it better or worse the next time it's the same? Or Great. So it help, helps to make me more aware of the tiredness rather than completely being in the tiredness and, and, and falling asleep. Yeah, so I think I answered it yourself in many ways, yeah, with that response to Nathan's question. Because, yes, obviously skillful, um, because even though, like, like we were saying, it's not that the, the kind of unpleasant experience will necessarily disappear, but what you're getting is, a bit, is more of a sense of awareness of that yeah, in the recognition and then also the appreciation of the moments when there is more wakefulness and more alertness and more presence. Yeah? So it can be, it sounds very much from what you're describing, a skillful way of working with tiredness is to... to um, to see it as dukkha, yeah. And sometimes it can also be interesting to, um, to just explore the contraction. Yeah, where is the contraction around tiredness? That can be quite amazing. I remember actually Rob saying this one time here and saying, you know, that he realized for himself many times that actually the experience of tiredness was just a little bit of contraction behind the eyes. That was for him. Yeah, it might be different for you. But then realizing that and then tiredness and then you go there and you can work with that contraction also, and, and that can um, change the experience as well, even though also what you're doing sounds great, and that it's working. Sometimes I think about practice as being like making a little bit of wriggle room in our experience, and just like what you were saying there, is like naming it as dukkha, and just like, oh, hang on, okay, so this is what's happening here, and then what would be what would be kind of helping that? And so maybe this idea of looking for the contraction behind the eyes, maybe it's like, if I imagine my, my whole body being a bit more luminous and bright, or what if I kind of feel like almost the uprightness of standing up, or if you want, you know, switching to standing up, or, you know, kind of throwing the blanket off, so like, yeah, I'm just going to embrace the, the chill, or whatever else is going to kind of support us. So we've got that little wriggle room, and then we build on that and, and, and open the, the space, yeah. Yeah, so there's uh, a, a question there related to dukkha, self-identity, personality, that kind of uh, realm, particularly when it gets engaged in I should uh, kind of um, phrases and also I am kind of phrases. So the kind of, um, you know, forcing us ourselves to be something that we're not and also identifying with the things that we find ourselves being obviously just temporarily and yet it feels at sometimes yet yeah, it could be liberating to kind of open out around there but isn't there also a place where it's it feels good and helpful to actually have a sense of identity and personality and and place in that form yeah oh, is it my no, I, I, don't, I don't mind um <laughs> yeah so i forgot my 
personality. Yeah, you forgot your personality. <laughs> you never forget your personality. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so yeah, another great question and exploration. And, you know, what, what comes to mind in relationship to that, that, you know, as you were just saying, and kind of as we've been kind of gradually saying over the days, yes, these, all of this arises together, right? Dukkha arises with a sense of self, yeah? Um, and this is something, again, to explore and to get to know in our experience. And with all of this, re constantly remembering, it's not about getting to some kind of final truth, yeah? And then kind of figuring out the perfect way to, to live, like the prescription, but to understand, yeah? So the understanding and the experiential understanding. So we can understand um, intellectually, yeah? Uh, and then also the experiential, seeing it in, in your experience. Ah, more dukkha, what's the sense of self like in that moment? That's what we're interested to see, yeah? This kind of manifestation of the sense of self, what's the degree of dukkha, what's the degree of contraction in experience, yeah? We want to understand that relationship because then that gives us more responsibility, more ability to respond, more range um, from which to find the appropriateness of, of our um, response yeah, to what's in front of us. So, you know, for some of us, this may feel inc incredibly exhilarating. You know, for some of us, it may feel like, oh gosh, I, I wish that someone would just tell me <laughs> how things should be and I can just do it. Um, and hopefully we can kind of also kind of get more into this sense of, of adventure. You know, life is advent an adventure. Being a human being is incredible, you know. Um, and, and we can kind of just, yeah, get interested, get, explore it, and, and it's in, as I, I think I said it at some point, it's infinite, the exploration, but there's, there's so much to understand and to play with uh, in there. Yeah. Maybe there's kind of just two, two points that I think are quite helpful. One is to recognize the Buddha seemed to have had a personality. You can kind of tell, oh, that's the Buddha talking, that's someone else talking when you read these texts. So seems like there's a place for it even when someone is you know apparently very very enlightened and awakened however you want to phrase that the other is there's an interesting point in the first part of your question which is had interesting verbal fabrications that we kind of apply to ourselves so the language that we use the tone that those things are said I should be you know such and such and I'm going to add quite a lot of pressure to us and we can actually rephrase those things while still keeping that intention behind it like you know, I should be kind to everyone. For the, oh God, yeah. It's like, wouldn't it be lovely to be kind to the next person we meet? You know, so it's kind of like it's temporal, it's quite immediate, and it's not like I have to be this forever, and I should be, and if I'm not, then I'm, you know, what what am I even existing for? But it's like, wouldn't it be nice? And you think, yeah, it would be quite nice. Okay, let's look around. Next person, we, we're nice to them. You know, the same thing is, I am, I am an angry person, and then it's really helpful just to look for the gaps in that truth. Well, here's a point. Am I being an angry person right now? Am I, you know, was I an angry person with that person yesterday? No. Okay. So I'm not, it's not fixed. It's not fixed. I'm just going to open out around that. Um, can be, can be quite helpful. Yeah. Well, let's see, because I'm going to repeat it and then, and then you'll be the judge. Um, so 
so the, the question before was, do I understand what, what you're saying? Um, so to get that on the recording, this is, so I'm going to have a go at saying that I understand. So we're working with releasing the contraction using this kind of Dukkha method of opening and, and lessening the contraction there. And something that you kind of noticed is in that sensitivity now to the, to the body and the energy in the body, this kind of feeling of movements of, of currents of energy and, and, um, and, and feeling that, and it's quite... Nice? Yeah. Nice when it's releasing pain and, and, and opening up areas. Mm. And, um, but then kind of feeling like, oh, hang on, should I be staying very kind of stock still in my meditation posture? Or is it okay then to kind of express those through forms of movement? Um, and you mean particularly to kind of let, let, them, let them be kind of more easily released. Is it yeah, like that? Yeah. Okay, so feeling that I'm moving and just wondering, like, what part of the question is, like, how does that relate to kind of like really trying to stay very still and, and steady in the meditation? Um, so did I get pretty close? Absolutely, absolutely. So just clarifying, there was no dancing happening during the silent sitting while everyone had their eyes closed. Um, we have to fix the cameras up in here just to check. But... Um, so there's kind of an, an embedded question in there, like what's the purpose of actually being still uh, in meditation? It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of lingering in there. And we'll see if we need to kind of address that or not. Um, but it might just come through speaking a little bit about the benefits of staying still while there's a lot of energy in the body. So we could say a lot of the time we think of this as physicality, yeah? And, it, and we relate to it on that kind of basis. You know, you feed it, you wash it, you walk it, you exercise it, get the muscles strong, kind of think of the uh, body as anatomy. And then you sit in meditation and you actually realize, to a certain degree, there's either a f it's just a lot of energy in the body, and we can relate to it on that kind of level, or within this bodily form, there's something subtler going on, something kind of subtler that we sense into when we allow the body to be still, there's just quite a lot of movement and, 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 and stuff inside it. And if you have a you know, kind of mind that thinks in these ways, if you kind of explore within it, it's almost like you tune into that kind of quantum mechanical or, or much lower down level of kind of materiality. It's mostly space. <laughs> it's mostly space inside the atoms, isn't it? It's like one dust moat in a cathedral of, of matter within. And it's kind of like this, what feels like physicality is really, really spacious. And you kind of, that could be one of the perceptions that you perceive the body as through that stillness. By staying still, while there's a lot of energy, we can actually um, experience it on a subtler level. If we then took that subtle level and made it um, have to appear through physicality, like physical movements, it would to some degree, by, by one argument, like diminish the subtlety by forcing it to have to express itself through physicality. You know, in the same way as we could say, I will only think thoughts, you know, in my language because my language is perfect and it has all the range it could possibly have. And you find another language, like say like Sanskrit, has so many more <laughs> words for like subtle spiritual experiences and you think, oh, so if I think in forms of language, I'm restricted by that. If I think of body in terms of physicality, I'm limiting it in certain ways. And so we might want to play with that. So as we release contraction, 
and you know, I'm doing it with my body to kind of give that sense. But actually, we could just be here, and I'm releasing <laughs> contraction. I don't need to move the body to do it. It's uh, something in there. But it can be helpful, particularly as we're getting to know the territory. I also do it in the body. I come more upright. Or as I release contraction, I feel I'm like sitting way higher, way taller than I would normally. But all I was intending to do was release contraction. I feel it energetically being released. Yeah? And just staying with that as an energy being released. And when it's necessary, it just suddenly happens. It's like, oh, I, and I just move the shoulder a little bit to get a little bit more release there. But I'm mainly working on the energetic perception of body than I am on the physicality perception of body in that field. Yeah. So it's not like um, opening contraction is like giving yourself a physical massage, but perhaps it's giving more space for this energy perception to actually say, you know what, I'm actually bigger than your perception of physicality. Like the energy body that, it, that feels like what's going on is actually just much bigger. Maybe it needs the space of the hall or, or something even larger. You know. So we're kind of willing to, to play around with uh, subtler concepts uh, so that we can kind of work with that. Did that kind of address the question? Lovely, thank you. Okay, so thank you everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.